0: uh, last year after many, many years of serving the Lord in Asia, in India and South Korea and Hong Kong Um, and so next week Edna and Glenda are both going to share just a little bit of their story of changed lives and the the things that they've experienced uh, of God in their lives Uh, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from them next week Um, but for now uh, we are, we are still here. We are still on the hillside with Jesus. Caleb, can you just turn on my clicker for me? There we go. Um, we're on the hillside with Jesus, which I want to just encourage us again is the best place for us to be, um, especially in this time that is full of uncertainty and upheaval, uh, where the ground under our feet can seem kind of uncertain. Um, the best place for us to be is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, listening to his words, um, finding our center there, finding our solid ground there, uh, finding our identity there. And so that's what we're going to do together again this morning. We're going to come to Jesus saying, you have the words of eternal life, and we want to listen to him. So let's read together. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 31. We're going to be dealing with two quite what might seem quite two quite different topics this morning, one about marriage and divorce, one about swearing oaths. Uh, but I guess maybe the the connecting thread, if you want one this morning, is about uh promises and being people who keep our word and being trustworthy. And you can maybe see that theme uh woven through. So Matthew chapter five, reading from verse 31. This is what it says. Jesus says. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So again, uh, you can see strong words from Jesus, blunt words perhaps from Jesus, challenging words. Um, We're going to try and wrestle with them a little bit uh, this morning. I'm going to start with the the theme of marriage and divorce. And maybe on the question of divorce, um, it's tempting to jump straight in and ask questions like this. Maybe these are the questions that are most buzzing in our mind. When is it okay to divorce? When is it not okay? And maybe even... Other questions beyond that, like when is it okay to get remarried, and when is it not okay, um, and so on. I want to suggest right at the beginning, thinking about the big themes that we've been thinking about. If If we only think on that level, we are thinking like Pharisees. Always for the Pharisees, the focus is purely on external behavior and wanting to make lists of rules. Always it's about, let's make a list of what is okay and what is not okay. And remember what we talked about before, the temptation then is to take our list of rules and head off depending on it and not needing to depend on Jesus anymore. Um, And so I want to encourage us not to just stay on that level. Jesus wants to create in us a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. Jesus is interested in our hearts. And so we always need to keep asking as we go through this sermon, what kind of character is Jesus wanting to form in me? What kind of person does he want me to be? Right, Those are our key questions. What kind of heart, what kind of character, what kind of person is Jesus wanting to form me into? And so if we bring those kind of questions to what Jesus says here about marriage and divorce, I wonder where we get to. Uh, I want to suggest um, two or three things that I think... Uh, that I think come out as we ask those heart questions. And the first one is this. What kind of person does Jesus want me to be? He wants me to be someone who honors the value and dignity of women. Now, maybe that may not be obvious immediately whenever we read this text uh, from where we're standing, but I want to suggest it would have been very, very obvious to his original hearers. Um, You may remember last week we talked a little bit about this, that the Pharisees debated what were sufficient grounds for a man to divorce his wife. The idea of a wife divorcing her husband would have been unthinkable at that time. Uh, But they debated what, what were the grounds, sufficient grounds, for a man to divorce his wife. And as we saw last week, some of them set the bar incredibly low. If she displeases you in any way you can divorce her. If she burns the food or oversalts the food, you can divorce her. If you no longer find her attractive, you can divorce her. Right? That was being openly discussed uh, and asserted. Uh, and that kind of thinking put women in a dangerous and vulnerable position. A divorced woman at that time was in big, big trouble. Without the shelter of a husband, a patriarch uh, on, uh, to shelter her, Uh, She would have been exposed to financial ruin and poverty. Um, It's the same same reason why, uh, again and again in the Bible, we're told to look out for and protect widows, because they were exposed in the same way. But a divorced woman would have been exposed to financial ruin and poverty and could easily end up in prostitution or sexual slavery or forced marriage. There were all kinds of nasty um, possibilities that opened up Um, Jesus, here as always, treats women with dignity and respect. He sees women in their full humanity. He honors them because they are made in God's image alongside men. Um, I've, I've been struck, I don't know about you, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, how often the teaching of Jesus is grounded in that Genesis 1 ethic. That if we remember that all human beings are made in, in God's image, uh, then everything else flows from that. Why why is contempt so serious? Because we're spitting on someone made in God's image. Why is lust so serious? Because we're using someone made in God's image for our gratification. Why is does Jesus speak these words about divorce to the culture of his day? Uh, because women also alongside men are made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. So much of Jesus' teaching is rooted there. And so Jesus says to this male-dominated culture, how you treat your wives really, really matters. You can't just discard them when you're tired of them. He is guarding women. I wonder, can you see that against abuse and misuse in a culture where men held all the power? So that's a really important note in this teaching of Jesus if we're looking at the heart of what he's saying. I think that's really important to say because if we miss this and only read the words of Jesus as law, we can actually end up using the words of Jesus to perpetuate abuse against women. Um, And I wanted to say this quite strongly. I've heard stories from not too far from here in our culture of women whose husbands were physically abusive, who tried everything to challenge their behavior, to pray for their husbands to change, to challenge uh, their behavior, and there was no change, and who looked for help from church leaders and were told that their duty as a Christian wife was to stay where they were and continue to be abused. And I think that is an awful example of reading the letter of Scripture, the letter of what Jesus says, and completely missing the heart. I think it's an awful thing. Um, So we need to hear that note here, that Jesus guards and honors the dignity of women as made in God's image alongside men, and he protects them from abuse. Um, Second thing is this, if we're listening to the heart of what Jesus says, is that Jesus has a really, really high view of marriage. Um, I want to encourage you later maybe to go and read in Matthew 19 Where Jesus talks a little bit more about his views of of marriage and divorce. And in that place, Jesus quotes from Genesis 2, those really famous words where it says, A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Right? That's when Jesus is thinking about marriage, that's what he reaches for uh, from the book of Genesis. Um, It's a really high view of marriage becoming. One, um, every time I'm conducting a wedding, which I love to do, um, I always say this before the vows, that what we're about to do is not just a nice social tradition or a legal formality or an expression of good intentions, but this is actually a moment of miracle, of creation, where something deep and powerful and mysterious happens, where something new comes into existence that didn't exist before as the two become one, Jesus takes a really high view of marriage. And I want to say something um, I hope I hope makes sense, that Jesus takes a high view of marriage and of sex, as we talked about last week, because he takes a high view of human beings. Um, if you take a low view of human beings, if you think human beings are nothing but atoms and molecules, or nothing but highly evolved mammals, then Two human beings can come together in sexual intimacy and come apart and nothing much happens or changes. We can come together in marriage and make vows and then move apart and nothing much happens or changes. If you take a low view of human beings, then we're kind of like Lego bricks. You can put us together and take us apart and the bricks remain unchanged. But if you take a high view of human beings, that we are much, much more... Lego bricks that we are made in God's image, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made creatures with bodies and minds and souls and then two of these amazing creatures come together and make promises to each other before God and the world and are physically joined in sexual intimacy. That is a powerful and mysterious and beautiful thing and we dare not take it lightly. Um, Maybe I want to suggest Uh, Taking a lower view of marriage is not liberating. It's actually degrading of our humanness. We are made for much more. And so Jesus takes a really high view of marriage, and so must we. And so there's where I want to start, that uh, Jesus guards and affirms the dignity of women, that he takes this really high view of marriage. And then that leads us here, that divorce is always a tragedy. If marriage is a joining together where we become one, there is no way to separate without tearing and deep wounding. Right? We can't take the view of some of the Pharisees that divorce is just a matter of convenience when it suits you. And we can't take the view that is now common in our culture that takes separation and divorce lightly and uses all kinds of slippery phrases to play it down. And so people will say, as they talk about separation and divorce, well, we grew apart, or we fell out of love, or we became incompatible. Um, One high profile celebrity couple even tried to rename divorce as conscious uncoupling um, to try to use a euphemism to make it sound better. Um, And I do want to say this, this is really important. Some of that comes from really good intentions because we don't want to be a culture that shames people who have been through divorce. We don't want them, remember last week, to to go around wearing a big red letter D for the rest of their life. Um, I've talked with a friend who's been through divorce who told me that they feel all the time like they walk around with a big neon sign above their head that says that is who they are. We don't want to be people who put that kind of shame on those who've gone through divorce. For those who go through the tragedy of divorce, we need to respond with compassion, bucket loads of compassion and gentleness and grace. But that doesn't mean treating divorce lightly, like it's no big deal. that That's actually, I think, not loving in the end. Something beautiful has been torn apart. And so that needs to be acknowledged and grieved There's deep wounding that needs deep healing. But deep healing is available uh, where that is needed. Um, And so divorce must always be seen as an absolute last resort and as a tragedy uh, whenever it happens. Um, Maybe I want to say this. This is really important. Um, If all we say uh, in the church, and sometimes this is all we say, if all we say is that divorce is bad, we can end up with a scenario where people simply stay in really unhealthy marriages, where they, they work out an uneasy truce and stay together. But there's no real deep love for each other. There's no real deep enjoyment of each other. There's no real deep intimacy and trust and togetherness. And I want to ask you, is, is that what Jesus wants for us? Is that our choice to either be a culture that takes divorce lightly? Um, or a culture where marriages stay together at all costs but are deeply unhealthy. Um I, I don't think it is. And so I think if we want to hear the heart of what Jesus is saying, we also need to say this: that you need to fight for your marriage, and not just for the survival of your marriage, but for its its flourishing, for its thriving. Um we need to say often, every marriage is going to hit difficult times. Um, That's one of the things I think we need to say repeatedly. Because if we think that marriage is, is meant to be easy and plain sailing, then, well, what happens when we hit a tricky patch? We panic. And we think we've made a mistake. We've married the wrong person. Something's gone terribly wrong. Rather than recognizing this happens in every marriage and saying now we begin the real work, which is good work, And hard work of listening and repenting and forgiving and learning and growing and then repeating all those things over again. That is what marriage is meant to look like. Um, Listening, repenting, forgiving, learning, growing together uh, before God. Um, So I want to encourage you, we need to be ready to fight for our marriages. And we need to be ready not only to fight for our own marriages, but also for each other's marriages. And I think this is really important in the church. I want to say, whenever you hit trouble, there is help available. Find friends you trust and ask for help and ask for prayer. Find an older couple and ask for their advice. Find a good counselor and be ready to do some hard work and dig deep. Look for resources of wisdom and good counsel. And I want to hold up my hands and say, uh, Deborah and I have needed all of these things in our marriage and will continue to need them all. Uh, We need all the help we can get for our marriages to not only survive but also thrive. Um, I really believe marriage can be one of God's greatest gifts in our lives, but only if we're ready to kind of count the cost and dig deep and do the work. Um, And I want to say to you, maybe really directly, If you're married, if you're a married couple and you're starting to hit trouble, look for help early. Don't let it go on and on. Don't leave it to a very last resort to seek help. But I also want to say, if you're already in deep trouble, it's not too late. Look for help. Ask for help. Um, I I was really struck by something as I've been reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, that if you look at the order of Jesus teaching in the sermon so far, First he talked about anger and contempt, then he talked about lust, and then he talks about marriage and divorce, and I found myself wondering how many marriages would end in divorce if every last bit of contempt was taken from our hearts, and every last bit of lust was taken from our hearts. I think those are the two biggest things that lead to shipwreck in marriages. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 19 that the Old Testament law allowed for divorce. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. And if one person in a marriage or both hardens their heart, it becomes really difficult to save the marriage. But if both of you keep your hearts open and soft and humble and teachable and allow Jesus to keep working in the depth of your heart, then marriages can not only survive, but actually thrive and become a powerful blessing in our lives and in our world. Um, and so I, w- I want to encourage you, fight for your marriage. Let's fight for each other's marriages. Um, but I want to, I want to f- switch now and think about our, our other theme uh, for this morning. And we're not going to talk about this one for as long. Uh, what about the teaching of Jesus on swearing oaths? Um, it seems uh, the Old Testament says in a number of places, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh talks about if you've taken an oath, uh, don't break your oath, you've got you to gotta be true to your oath. Um, and as uh, we can see the pattern emerging here, it seems that the Pharisees did some creative things with that teaching. Some of them argued that if you swore an oath in God's name, then that was a serious and binding thing. But... Um, If you swore an oath by something less than God, you swore an oath by the earth or the city of Jerusalem or your own head, those are the examples Jesus mentions, then somehow that was less binding or less serious and you wouldn't be in as much trouble if you broke that oath. So oaths taken in God's name, very serious. Oaths taken on anything else, not so binding, not so serious. Um, Jesus cuts through all of that nonsense, all of that game playing. And what does he say? He says very directly, do not swear an oath at all. Not at all, not on anything, right? That's kind of pretty pretty simple um, and clear and leaving no room for loopholes. Um, and I, I do want to just talk about this for a second really directly. Um, I don't see any reason not to take this teaching of Jesus absolutely seriously. Don't swear an oath at all. So let me give a couple of examples. Um, and there may be a little bit of controversy here that you can talk about over your Sunday lunch. Um, don't try and strengthen your promise when you're promising something by saying, I swear to God, or I swear on my mother's grave, or all kinds of other weird things that people can say. I think that one should be uncontroversial. Don't Don't do it. Don't strengthen your promise with those kind of pledges or oaths. Um, let's get a little bit more controversial. Um, there are some societies in our culture, like the Freemasons or the Orange Order, which require their members to swear a pretty strong oath. Um, and I want to say to you really directly, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't do it. And I want to say to you, if you have taken those oaths, I want to I strongly urge you to renounce them and disentangle yourself from them. And I want to draw your attention to what Jesus says: that these things come from the evil one. There's something really serious about binding ourselves with oaths in this kind of way. Um, so I want to say, I, I, I want to say that very strongly. Don't take those kind of oaths. And if you have, get someone to pray with you and renounce them and disentangle yourself. Um, let's give you one more um, that you can debate over Sunday lunch. There are situations in our society, um, especially in court, um, and this has happened to me um, a couple of years ago, where we can be asked to place our hand on a Bible and swear an oath by Almighty God. Um, and interestingly on this one, most Christians in our culture have tended to see this as okay, uh, or even as a good thing, kind of a sign of a Christian society that we we ask people to swear on the Bible and by God. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out and say I think it involves us in a very strange kind of contradiction where we're swearing an oath on the Bible. And in that Bible, Jesus asks us not to swear oaths on anything and warns us that such swearing opens the door to the enemy. And so uh, I can't see a good reason for a Christian to do this, um, especially since the law provides us with an alternative Um, and if you want to hear my story of when I had to do this a couple of years ago um, and I didn't take an oath on the Bible I just I took an alternative pledge uh, simply to promise to tell the truth and I think that's the better way uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus you can debate that over your Sunday lunch but um, I I was thinking about these things and I was preparing these thoughts and uh, the Lord I think the Lord kind of challenged me a little bit I discovered that I had very strong opinions about this as you may have noticed But I sense the Lord kind of challenging me and saying, if that's all that I say about this passage, then I'm still talking like a Pharisee. I'm saying to you, here's my list of what's okay and what's not okay. And maybe you want to debate that with me a little bit. Um, But what is the heart of what Jesus is saying here in this section about the swearing of oaths? What is the heart of it? And I think it's the bit that comes at the end where he says, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else comes from the evil one. We are to be known as people who speak truthfully all the time in every sphere of life. So people know before we even open our mouths that what comes out of our mouths is going to be the simple and plain and unembellished truth. In other words, the heart of Jesus teaching, I think, is not simply that we shouldn't swear oaths, but that we shouldn't need to. It should be entirely unnecessary because everybody around us knows that we are truthful people. Um, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. Um, I remember this quite well. But some, sometimes when you were a kid, you didn't always quite tell the truth, maybe. You were experimenting with uh, not being entirely truthful, and then... um on an occasion when you were telling the truth, someone didn't believe you. Uh, they thought you were, you were telling porky pies again. Um, and you got really frustrated and you, what did, what did you start to do? You started to say, I promise I'm telling the truth this time. Or you even ended up saying, I cross my heart and hope to die. Um, and you had to bind yourself with oaths. But if we tell the truth all the time, then we don't need to do that. Maybe one way we could put it is this, um, And maybe again, connecting our two themes this morning. When a couple stands up at a wedding together, they say yes to each other. And and on that occasion, we draw attention to the fact that their promises are being made in the presence of God, before God. And we're, we're kind of drawing attention to saying, this is a holy moment, so these words really matter. But actually, all the words we speak in the most ordinary moments of our most ordinary days, are spoken in the presence of God. And every moment is holy. And so I think the heart of what Jesus is saying here is, speak all the time with that awareness um, and be ready to speak truthfully um, at all times. Um, I think this challenge um, it kind of sounds simple, to speak the truth all the time. Um, it can actually be very tricky. Uh, most of us like to think that we don't make a habit of lying. Uh, most of us like to think I'm not a liar. I'm not, a, I'm not someone who tells a lot of lies. Um, but it's so easy to develop a habit of bending the truth or embellishing the truth or manipulating the truth or, as we like to say, being economical with the truth. Um, so what we say is half true or almost true or kind of true um, someone, someone has famously said a lie is an abomination to God and a very present help in times of trouble um, and it's kind of a funny way of saying the reason we are not entirely honest is because it's often convenient to just bend the truth a little bit we do it to get out of uncomfortable situations um, in lots of workplaces it's normal to be creative with the truth and can even be expected that people will be creative with the truth. Um, I was reminded this week of uh, a couple of stories from my grandfather's uh, life story where he, uh, he talks about before he became a missionary in Japan, um, one of the jobs he had, he worked in a draper's shop in Larne uh, and he tells a story about uh, near the beginning of his time working there, um, a van pulled up outside the shop and his boss said to him, I'm going upstairs. Tell them I've gone to the country. Um, and two, two men came into the shop um, and said to my grandfather, is your boss here? Uh, to which my grandfather replied, well, he's gone upstairs, but he said to tell you he's gone to the country. Um, and, and in the next page of his life story, he tells a story very honestly of uh, a later time in that draper shop when a, a different boss um, asked him to lie. And he did lie. And he talks about how that evening when he went to his attic room to pray, it was like the heavens were brass. He felt like God was a million miles away. His soul had been numbed by what had happened, and he ended up going and finding that customer and going and telling them the truth. Um, many times in a workplace, you might be asked to bend the truth. Sometimes if you don't do that, there might be a cost. Um, but you'll also start to get a reputation as someone who is reliable, who is trustworthy, whose word can be depended on. Um, In lots of social interactions, it can be really tempting to bend the truth. Um, If you want to turn down an invitation to go somewhere or do something, but we don't want to hurt their feelings, we end up saying something plausible but not quite true, or we're wanting to explain why we're late, (laughs) So we say the traffic was bad, and maybe the traffic was bad, but we know that's not really the reason why we're late. It's so tempting just to become a little fast and loose with the truth. And I think Jesus' words are really challenging. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything else beyond that comes from the evil one. Um, I want to encourage you to try a little experiment this week, and I mean this absolutely seriously. just to, to keep a watch on your speech and watch out for those little moments where you're tempted to say something that's not quite exactly true, that's a little bit deliberately slippery or deceptive. And just see what you notice as you go through this week, when those moments arise uh, in your week. Uh, let me finish with this. that um, why Why is this important, this truth-telling? I think it's important... Uh, for lots of reasons, but the the truth is an elusive thing in our world, and people talk about a post-truth world, and people talk about fake news and alternative facts, and some people blame politicians for it, some people blame the media, some people blame advertising. Um, it infects every part of our society. But what I really notice is people become uh, and are becoming in our culture really jaded and cynical. They don't know who to believe. And I think in that kind of world, there's an amazing opportunity if we become known in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our family, in every part of our life, as people who speak the simple truth all the time, who don't exaggerate or embellish, don't dress things up, don't play things down, don't twist things to fit a narrative, don't pretend we know more than we know, just say yes. And no, and maybe sometimes I don't know. Um, I think that becomes a really powerful thing. Um, I like to think that Draper's Shop in Lorne was kind of a place of training for my grandfather to go and be a missionary. Because as we go into the world to preach the gospel, um, people are not going to believe us when we tell them the truth about Jesus unless we are known as being trustworthy <laughs> in the rest of our lives. Um, If they know that we speak the truth all the time, then there's every chance that they might listen when we say, I want to tell you the truth about Jesus. Then we will shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. I think that's why it really matters that we be people of the truth. Um, So let's pray. Uh, These are challenging things for all of us. Um, Let's pray together, uh, and then we're going to sing one more song uh, to finish. Um, Let's pray. Father, these things uh, that we've talked about are really not easy. Um, We don't find it easy um, to build healthy, thriving, flourishing marriages. We don't find it easy to be faithful to our marriage vows, not only the letter of our vows, but the spirit of them and the heart of them. And Father, we don't find it easy day by day, to be completely truthful and honest in our speech. Um, Father, we need your help. Uh, We want to thank you that you are the faithful one. We want to thank you that all of your words are completely reliable and trustworthy. We want to thank you that your promises are completely reliable and trustworthy and unshakable, that we can uh, stand our lives upon them. we want to thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And so, Father, we want to pray, would you, the faithful one, come and change our hearts and make us more like you? Would you conform us to the image of your son? Would you make us people who keep our promises and keep our word and are known to those around us as those who are faithful and trustworthy? Um, come, Holy Spirit, and help us uh, to put these words into action in our lives. Uh, we can't do it by by ourselves. Uh, we need you to come and change our hearts. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.